Looking out this dirty old window Down below the giant squid in the lake was floating by I said if you awakened I wonder why Greetings, witches and wizards, and welcome to Always, the Potter Fandom Podcast. Each month, we highlight the well-mannered frivolity of Harry Potter fans, who they are, what they are up to, and how others can get involved. Our hosts are Adrian Ipia of Los Angeles Dumbledore's Army, Jen Rasick of HPDFW, I'm Jonathan Rosenthal of HPNYC, and it is with great pleasure we introduce our new co-host, Heather Murphy of the Central Florida Slug Club. Our guests today are Melissa Mooney-Prof-Aaron and Lauren Johnson, a longtime fic reader and member of HPDFW. Professor Aaron is an avid Harry Potter fan and teaches a Harry Potter literary course at Cal Poly Pomona. In the Harry Potter fandom, Professor Aaron has developed a specialty in werewolves. As Mooney-Prof, she represented Professor Lupin at the Hogwarts Best Teacher of the Year panel at Lumos in 2006 and has given several papers on Lupin and werewolves. Said he was a wolf. Professor Lupin meets the Duchess of Malfi. The Witching Hour, 2005. The Way of the Wolf, Werewolves, Misrepresentation, and Mental Illness, Prophecy, 2007. New Moon, Full Moon, Wolvesbane Potion, and Firstploding Boys, Werewolves in the Harry Potter Books and the Twilight Saga, Ascatraz, 2009. My, what big eyes you have, Lupin. Greyback and the Modern Werewolf Revival. Infinitus, 2010, and The Werewolf Renaissance, or How I Learned to Stop Worrying and Love the Moon, Ascendio, 2012. Before we begin Asiel Fandom and delve into our topic of the month, Heather, please introduce yourself and tell our listeners a bit more about you. Thanks, John. Um, my name again is Heather Murphy. I'm from the Central Florida Slug Club. I was one of the founding members and now the Slytherin Head of House. Uh, we've been a group for about two years now. I've been personally in fandom since about 2003 when, uh, after num- numerous attempts of my friends to get me to read the books, it was my great aunt who got me to actually sit down and watch the movies, play some of the video games when she was struggling to get past the basilisk. And it started this huge addiction. Uh, <laughs> as soon as I got back, I started reading every single bit of fan fiction I could find on fanfiction.net. Uh, Order of the Phoenix came out in the bookstores about a week later so I was there at the midnight uh, release for that and it just it's been constant ever since uh, RPGs going to conventions my first one was Phoenix Rising I tried to go to one uh, every year ever since then and then eventually after Ascendio uh, I wanted to have more Harry Potter in my life uh, if there really could be and even more than <laughs> what I was doing before and so I uh, got together with some other people from the area we formed the Central Florida Slug Club after talking on my Hogwarts for a few months so you guys are relatively new. You're less than two years old. Yes, we are. Awesome. And Melissa, how did you get into the fandom? Oh my goodness. Um, well, um, as you can tell, it's it's there. It was Lupin re- related. Um, <laughs> I was I was actually um, uh, applying for my first job as a professor. So that would have been whew, a long time ago. And um, my mother actually was the first Harry Potter fan in my in my family. Um, I have bronchitis, feeling terrible, and visiting my family, and my mom said, this is, you have to read this, this is, this is awesome. Um, and what grabbed me was the chapter Cat, Rat, and Dog. 
<laughs> and my jaw dropped and I decided this is the most wonderful thing ever. And it, it hasn't stopped being the most wonderful thing ever. Um, but it, that's how it started. And I started going to conferences as, you know, in stuffy professor mode. I'm only going to wear tweed. I'm going to try not to look too happy at the parties, you know. And, you know, by the time I, we got down to Mysticon in May, I'm running around, you know, <laughs> as, <laughs> as a magical unicorn or whatever. You need, well, you need to put together a slideshow of, um, of, 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 of your <laughs> sort of degeneration. I probably could do that. It's really funny, but but actually, at Lumos. You, um, there's a picture of me at Lumos, and um, um, while they specifically asked at the Teacher of the Year panel that we not try to represent the characters or cosplay them or anything, um, I still wore a tweed coat and um, my Cambridge robes. Oh, and wow. they are legitimately my robes. They're what I wore at Cambridge for, you know, two years. Um, those, those happen to be my lupin robes. When I wear lupin stuff, it's, I basically rob my own closet because I really dress like that. So, um, I'm wearing this and, um, we're, we're having the conversation about who, um, is the best teacher and why. And I said something, um, about why lupin ruled and the woman um who is representing Snape made some kind of uh, sound <laughs> and before I could stop myself I said darling I know you don't love me <laughs> and I, it was like total accidental snooping I really did not I don't know where this came from accidental snooping that's a that's a minor infraction <laughs> it is accidental snooping Lord. So, so that's that's kind of where you know you're going downhill, and you know, and by the time Mysticon came around, I'm sort of the great and powerful Trixie Hart, you know, <laughs> that, that picture with me and Clay um, standing next to each other being Lockhart's. It's really fun. Can everyone hear me? Can everyone see me? There will never be a wizard. Quite like me, I've won the most charming smile award five times in which weekly. Lauren, why don't you tell us a bit about how you joined the fandom? Well, it all started for me back in probably the the uh, Prisoner of Azkaban movie. I actually was with a friend. And we were movie hopping at the movie theater, and we decided, hey, this one looks cool. Let's go in here. Um, so you shot it legally. Essentially, yeah. Admitting so, your criminal yeah. past. <laughs> I think the statute of limitations on movie hopping is, is very quick. Gotta escape from Well, you know, maybe I should give a, a, a pin name here then or something. <laughs> but after I saw that movie, I just became so, like, I had never read the Harry Potter series up until then. And after watching that movie, within the first week, I had as many books as I could. I went to my local half-price books online, did what I could to get the books. I think it was, um, up to that point, was Order of the Phoenix, I believe, and so I had read them within the first week after that movie. And after that, that I was like, I need more. <laughs> I'm not going to survive till the, till the next, you know, book comes out and all that kind of stuff. So that's, you know, kind of how I got into the whole fan fiction thing is because I just, I had to 
read more. I love the movies, yes, and could watch them over and over, but there's just so, something so much different about the written word that it kind of drew me in that way. And so that's I've been hooked ever since. And I to this day, there's still fanfic uh, little authors that I follow and everything. And every time they post something new, I'm like, yes. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of where I've been. Awesome. Moving right along. Our ASIO fandom segment tonight takes us to the very beginnings of the Harry Potter fandom. Before there were podcasts or fan films, before Kickstarters and StarKid, before theme parks and Hot Topic merch, there was fan fiction. Fan fiction itself is incredibly older than Harry Potter fandom. Although the first modern fan fiction is traced to Star Trek, examples of transformative works can even be found with the Bronte sisters in the 1800s. Your always podcast hosts, along with our special guests, will be talking about their own fan fiction experiences as readers and or writers. I will be giving you some tips on where to find fanfiction and how to get started writing and posting it online. Fanfiction is a very distinct fan culture, and as with any well-established culture, it has its own terminology. To help you understand some of the terms mentioned in this podcast, Jen will now give you a brief overview of some of fanfiction's more common terms. All right, people, get out your notebooks and your pens. Quills. Here come your definitions. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm getting booted out of the magical community now. Please grab your quills and write down some terms. So there are a lot of very specific terminology that's used in fan fiction. We're just going to run through some of them really quickly. Slash comes up an awful lot. Now, originally this started with the Star Trek fandom, and Slash is just like a pairing. So... When we're talking about Star Trek, it's Captain Kirk slash Mr. Spock. Something wrong. I kink in my back. That's it. A little little higher, please. Push. Push hard. Take it in there, Mr. Spock. Meaning that they're romantically paired. But over the years, it's come to mean a romantic pairing that's usually same-sex, um, being male-male. And sometimes you hear femme slash, which means two female characters paired together. Another common terms are canon and non-canon. Canon means anything that is directly related to the original work. So if J.K.R. wrote it, it's canon. If I made it up out of my little brain, like, let's say, some snoopin' action happening <laughs> on our podcast earlier, Sorry. that's non-canon. <laughs> it's very much so. <laughs> well, you know, some people would argue, but technically non-canon. So shipping. And that's something that you're going to hear about in other segments as well. Shipping has started many, many a war and been a huge part of fandom. It's basically any romantic pairing that someone supports. So you can say ship is just short for a relationship. So you might say, I ship Harry Hermione. Or I ship Ron and Hermione. Or I ship the giant squid in the Hogwarts castle. That's my my ship. Right there. There you go. Oh, yeah. we're at war, John, because mine's Neville Giant Squid. So, you know, we're... Oh. I didn't know there were mammals involved in that. <laughs> and now that we have that in our brains, thanks very much. Sorry. Yeah, all those filters that I have shattered. <laughs> didn't see so that coming. So, we talk about thick. It just means any, any type of fan fiction. So, we just shorten the word because we're lazy. Um, Drabble or flash fiction means... Very short fiction, usually under a thousand words. Beta, 
A beta reader is somebody who helps you not look like an idiot when you post your stuff. Basically, they go in and they take out all the horrible, embarrassing typos that, you know, will shame you for the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Beta readers are so, so important. Be nice to them. Hunt out good ones. Um, het is short for heterosexual pairings. AU means alternate universe. So let's say that I want to write a fiction piece about um, what had happened if Harry had died when Voldemort used the Avada Kedavra curse on him. That's an alternate universe fic. Um, occasionally that, that term is also used to talk about when somebody writes a, a fan fiction that uses other fandoms in addition to Harry Potter. So if I wanted to write Pokemon and Harry Potter, sometimes that's called AU, but more commonly that'd be called a crossover. OC, which stands mm-hmm. for original character, which means I feel like making my own characters and making them go to Hogwarts or fall in love with Harry or <laughs> do all sorts of other things. Or, you know, like Snape's long lost daughter and her mm. romantic goings on. And finally, I'm sure you guys are dying to know our last one. It's OOC. Um, we love our acronyms when we're writing, obviously. <laughs> this stands for out of character. And that's not typically tagged like in a fan fiction where somebody's um, describing what it's about. But you might see it when somebody's talking about a fan fiction or, or leaving a comment on it or criticizing it. It means that one of the characters is not acting the way that they should. So if um, Harry suddenly starts cross-dressing, in this fan fiction, he's acting a little out of character from what J.K. Rowling originally wrote him as. Unless he's using Polyjuice Potion, then it's totally cool. <laughs> Jen, thank you for that wonderful and exhaustive list of terms. We're going to be a bit less formal for Osseo fandom this month, so please jump in after I ask the question if you have the answer for it, and um, and you just want to go ahead and, and let, us, let us know what you're thinking. Uh, so for the first question, what do you like most about reading fan fiction? And are there specific styles of fics that you look for? Well, I, I would say uh, I've, I've written some fan fiction, right? And I, I'll read different kinds of things, but I don't actually – I'm very picky. The thing is that when Harry Potter fanfic started, and even now to this day, um, you couldn't possibly read it all. I mean, it's just – there's so much of it. It's like finding articles on Shakespeare. I mean, it just makes <laughs> Brain bleed, just the thing. No, it's almost the same um, in the sense of just sheer amount. Or Sherlock so, Holmes. And so I wind up actually not – or yeah, and so I actually wind up not reading very much of it. Um, but um, the kind that I write tends to be very much canon-based. Um, I – you know, it's what's technically called genfic in, most of the time, and that's um, fics that don't have shipping. Um, so they might be like a little tiny one shot, not a multi-chaptered work, um, that just is like, what was Lupin doing immediately before he got Dumbledore's letter hiring him? Something like that. Um, and I tend to like that. I, I am not crazy about stuff that's too shippy. Um, but you know, I mean, that's so that's really where I come down on it. I think it's a little underrated by my colleagues. I think a lot of professors just think fanfic is is no good. I think it's got specific purposes; they're helpful, but that's where it is for me. I prefer canon, and I prefer very, very clean. 
Well, for me, um, I started reading fan fiction in the um, what we call the long summer, which is that huge gap between when book four and book five were released. Yeah, that's the uh, summer Lauren didn't have to suffer through. Yeah, <laughs> lucky girl. But but for those of us who are in the time suffering through the long summer, thick is what got me through because I was like, oh my god, I can't handle it. Where's another book? I'm not gonna make it. And so I stumbled onto to fan fiction, and after reading a little bit of it, I was like, you know, I could write this stuff. So then I started writing it, and and you know, things barreled out of control from there. Mm-hmm. But I tend to favor canon-centric fic as well, um, and and I prefer canon pairings for the most part. And when I was reading fic, I don't read it anymore, and I'll explain why in a second. But when I was reading it, I preferred kind of all over the place. I'd read a one-shot, like a little short piece, but I'd also read uh, novel-length fic if I was enjoying it because there's some really excellent stuff out there. Um, I stopped reading fan fiction after I started my HP group because I am our trivia queen. I'm in charge <laughs> of all of our trivia contests, and yes. uh, I'm a little walking Harry Potter dictionary for the most part, and I found that I was getting confused oh, no. <laughs> and couldn't remember my canon versus um, another term I should have explained was fanon, which is oh, yeah. something oh, yeah. that is that – is, specific to the fandom that's become sort of like a, a fandom um, um, like a fandom staple like Sirius and Lupin having a relationship is fanon that's really popular in the fandom and in fan fiction and so it's kind of an accepted trope but it, it's not canon obviously right and, well that gets and, really darn confusing when you're the trivia person and actually mm-hmm. I have a term I have a term for that that as far as I can Tell I invented. It's called heavy fanon, and once you get to, it's something that's acquired so much weight because it's been used in so much fandom um, fic that it's extremely difficult to write or persuade anybody of anything else. So Remus Sirius, it's it's taken on. It's so it's taken on so much weight with fanon that it becomes heavy fanon. It becomes almost immovable, and you can see that in almost everything. Um, and those those could get those can get potentially really difficult. Read enough of that, and yeah, I can see how you would easily easily get confused. Well, also if you're reading really good fan fiction, which is what I tend to go for, they were matching JKR style pretty well. Ooh. Oh yeah, I remember Fanon back in the days when I was a big Star Wars fan because there was there was tons of it then, just gap fillers essentially and. And f- figuring out the plot holes and making excuses for them, so to speak, and there were certain certain ideas that would come about that became almost factual. And uh, it's pretty interesting stuff what the fans do to to fill in the gaps the author doesn't doesn't fill in. Oh yeah, that's actually my fa- one of my favorite uses of fan fiction. If there's something that never does get explained, I mean that can be a lot of fun, but it's sometimes difficult to draw the line of, wait a minute, this didn't actually happen. I'm remembering a thing that didn't happen. <laughs> it's really dangerous. It's like implanted memories. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is, isn't it? 
That's great. When we're all old, when we're all old and gray, and we're, and we're, uh, we're we'll like, I remember my days at Hogwarts. Like, oh, like, well, start to, like, grand, start to Grandpa, Grandpa John, you were born in New York. Like, You're making dementia like, sound good, John. You know that, right? Hey, as you know, that could be worse. <laughs> I'm actually looking forward to old age now. Thank you. <laughs> Just bury See, me I... in the Universal Studios. Just... <laughs> no, I'm going to leave soon, thank you. They can bury me outside the Great Hall. Oh, you want a huge expense for your family. <laughs> My husband has asked that when he dies, we cremate him, sneak to Skywalker Ranch, and throw his ashes over the wall. Fair enough. Nice. <laughs> so I enough. think I should get to have something similar, right? I cannot argue with that at all. Just don't tell anybody about it, you know. Well, it's on a podcast now. (laughs) Yeah, not very suave. So, Lauren, do you want to share your uh, thick reading experiences? Well, I started off just doing canon because when I first, I mean, I read those books like lightning fast. I just whipped through those things. I read them several times even, multiple times over. And then I was just like, okay, like I was looking things up on, you know, online and everything. And it was literally, I just stumbled across fanfic. And so at first I was very into the canon views and, you know, the canon shipping and all that kind of stuff. And um, then I started reading, like the reading, just the quality wasn't very good (laughs) after a while. (laughs) Some, you know, going back to the beta thing, uh, some people decided that they didn't need one or something, which, you know, kudos to them. But uh, after a while, I just, I, I saw other, you know, oh, I wonder what this is. Let's, let's go in this route. And after, after that, it was just, I had my little authors that I followed. If they suggested somebody else, then I would follow them. So I'm almost not even, I like AUs, I like Canon, I like everything. As long as they're a good writer, I'll read it type thing. Awesome. Okay, so we got Melissa, we got Jen, we got Lauren. Adrian, what about you? Um, I don't read fan fiction. I I'm a purist. I don't want any other memory to conflict to what JK Rowling has written. So I have not read anything. I think I tried and I was not into it. I'm I'm pretty much in the same boat, but for me it's more of a, of a time constraint. Uh, I actually spend a lot of my time reading um, academic papers on Harry Potter. Our guests included Melissa and uh, John Granger, Travis Prinzi, and but I, I I read all their stuff and and anything online delves into the deeper issues in her in J.K. Rowling's works, both canonically and also in real world. Uh, I I love it. I love I love papers that examine the the legal system of the Ministry and how wrecked it is uh, <laughs> and that also leads into melissa you gave a presentation about werewolf rights yeah uh, that's right um and that's why i don't read fic is because i'm too busy reading uh, the more academic stuff and our newest co-host heather what do you like to read uh well when i first started reading fan fiction i just like everyone else i was just looking for things to see uh go a little further into detail on canon to explore what might happen in the upcoming books uh, but as the books finished up, obviously that wasn't really something I was interested in anymore. It wasn't something that was needed. And I sort of drifted away from fan fiction for a long time, 
just recently, though, I've started getting back into it, though, with some communities on Tumblr where people have been exploring. Uh, they've been going a little bit into meta, but a lot of it's been just world building fan fiction, general fiction that talks about either what's happened to the characters years afterwards or uh, exploring different international governments, uh, like American Wizarding is a fan fiction site that, well, fan fiction blog that talks about what an American government would be like and talks about the history of the American Wizarding governments. How does fiction work on Tumblr? I'm curious about that. It's not quite as organized as, other, as some of the other sites. It's one thing I don't really like is you can't really go into an archive and just pull up something unless it's been tagged well. And some of them, they're not really uh, tagged all that well. Um, no organization at all, but they just they post anything that's been recently submitted to them, and then it'll show up on your dash when you go to check it. Oh, so it's, it's more compulsive, I guess, than anything. Exactly. Interesting. Tumblr's not really very good for fanfic. I only I only look at it because there's some other stuff that I like, other fandom that I like to follow that has a lot of good art. So I, I look at it. I've occasionally posted, okay, here's a link to some thoughts I had. But I, I, I have a live journal that I use for that. I think live journal's way better. You can join a community. You can follow it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. LJ is also really good with archiving. Yes, it is. Yes. Very, very powerful archiving system. So those of you uh, who don't know what a live journal is. <laughs> <laughs> As we age ourselves. Yeah, to, to our listeners <laughs> who don't know what live journal is, live journal is the great granddaddy of uh, online blogging. Uh, it still exists. It still has lots and lots of users. And uh, as we're going to discuss more, it is still a haven for fic. Uh, it is just filled with thick communities, and the communities are very, very specific based on the kind of thick and the genre of thick and the slash and the pairings. And um, uh, as I mentioned, we'll talk more about that, but uh, LiveJournal is definitely a place to explore both new and old thick because their system allows for a much better archiving. So you can see what's been posted in the past, and you can see people's recs, and they keep lists. And even on individual uh, profiles of people, they'll list what they what their favorite fics are. And then that, that's really, that's almost like almost like a Wikipedia of endless not getting off your keyboard. <laughs> because you'll just you'll you'll start clicking on on what people like to read, and you'll just keep going and clicking and clicking and and yeah, it, it's a wonderful place. Don't discount your elders and their and their websites. <laughs> I, I am a proud life permanent live journal account owner, um, and uh, although I admit I have not updated my live journal in quite some time, but I do use it to read stuff. Um, I have two, actually. I have I have two two permanent um, accounts. Yep. Awesome. Wow. Yeah, I have one that's just – well, because the thing is one of them is Harry Potter related and it's less locked down. And then there's one that's a little bit more freewheeling. It's whatever I happen to be interested in. So it's it's a little bit um, – it's a little bit less of an open book. Um I guess so. It's not. It's not deeply personal. I feel like anything that's really super deeply personal, the internet is like leaving it on a bulletin board in the middle of, actually in the middle of downtown New York. <laughs> so anybody could walk. Anybody could walk past it, and you have to expect that that's going to be there. Um, but it's a little bit, you know, it's my own personal one. Yeah. So, Live Journal is definitely one place that you can find fan fiction, but it's not the most common. Um, it isn't. I thought it had a very large percentage of the fic out there was in Live Journal. It, it has 
a lot of fic, but that's not where most of your fic is coming from. Oh. Your niche communities, yeah. Okay. But there are a lot of different places to find fanfic. We will definitely bring that up very shortly, where where, they, where people can go. Um, okay, so moving along to um, the writers, uh, our writers of fanfic, which it sounds like all of our readers are also writers. Uh, how often do you work on your fanfiction? And is there a specific type of Harry Potter fic you focus on? Yeah, I I only um, I, I, I'm I'm like Mr. Ed um, when it comes to fanfic. I only I only speak when I've got something to say. That's even more dated, isn't it? This the talking horse, right? Um, but I I've only ever written them when there's a specific prompt or there's some specific thing. Um, actually, my first fanfic that I did was with Fiction Alley. Um, which is specific to Harry Potter. And once fanfic that's specific to a particular fandom, that's really nice. Um, fanfiction.net has just everything. Um, but Fiction Alley had a little bit of, um, a, a little bit of an approval process and, um, ways of sorting things into what you wanted to watch. Um, and I think they had, um, a prompt that was, um, specific to the Goblet of Fire movie. So the m- distinction between uh, the book and the movie is very, very strong with Goblet of Fire. With Goblet of Fire, it's really, really strong. So it, with the prompt was write something that sort of explains it or ties it together. And um, and I did a couple of those. Um, I I think one point I, I got talking to somebody who did Gilderoy Lockhart, not actually a different Gilderoy Lockhart, and um, I wrote something for her. Um, but usually it has to be a specific occasion or something specifically has to has to trigger it off and otherwise not uh, not too much. You previously mentioned that you write um, what, I, what I like to call extra canonical fic, uh, uh, stuff that's within canon but not not visible in the story. Yep. Uh, can you give us some examples of, of, of some things that you wrote in that genre? Sure. Um, well, uh, here's one, and this was one of the ones that was reconciling the, uh, the movie verse with book verse. Um, you remember that in the book um, of Goblet of Fire, Ron get, has these hideous dress robes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and the book makes it very clear that the reason he has these hideous robes is because the Weasleys don't have any money and Mrs. Weasley is very embarrassed about it. And the movies tend to play down the Weasley's poverty. They, they pretty much make it almost invisible. Um, I don't really know why they do that, but it is something they do. So then what you have is Ron's mom sending him these hideous dress robes for no particular reason. You know, does she just like hate him? (laughs) (laughs) Clearly. She just wants them to be laughed at. It builds character. <laughs> You're the worst <laughs> child. I hate you. <laughs> well, actually, what I what I came up with was they're Arthur's old robes, and she thinks he'll look so handsome in them. She has this fond memory of Arthur. That was the latest thing, and it struck me as being plausible because it, it's modeled on the '70s fashion. Those sure, big, yeah. Bow ties and the ruffly shirt and cravats, <laughs> giant cravats. To me, that was really, that that explained it very nicely, which is that especially in the 
look, Ron is tall and so is Mr. Weasley. So they've got this body type and that um, the reason that Fred and George lucked out in the robes department, this is before they have money, is because those are Fabian and Gideon Pruitt's old robes. So they have nice ones. Wow. He picked out these these dress robes, and it was just a little tiny conversation between Arthur and Molly. It was really quick, really short, really sweet, clean, because you don't really want to see much <laughs> But what I mean by sort of just off stage or extra canonical, it's it's not going to interfere with anything you already think, I, I think, but that's that's the kind of stuff I've liked to write. And that sounds great. Well, I know for myself, I haven't, uh, I just double checked, I haven't written any fan fiction since 2007. Um, back when I did write it, however, it's, it's been a while. Um, I was writing, uh, I have like three short pieces and then I have two novel length fan fictions. Like oh, one wow. is, yeah. And, um, Back then, I, I wrote them because, like I said, I was reading, and I was like, you know, I could write this stuff. And so I started writing, and then I found the most fantastic um, writing group that I joined with just the most creative, wonderful women ever who were so encouraging and improved my writing so much, and it really, really got me into writing. The reason that I stopped writing fan fiction um, not at all related to why I stopped reading it was because I started writing original fiction. Um, because after I finished my first novel length fic, I was like, okay, well, I just proved to myself that I can write an 80,000 word novel <laughs> and that people will read it and that they actually kind of liked it. So I decided that I wanted to focus on writing original fiction and that's where I've been putting all my energies since. Wow. That, I mean, that's a, I can't think of a better reason. <laughs> that's fantastic. So, Lauren, do you write well, as well? I, I can't remember. I, yes. Well, I wrote one a way long time ago, and it was I think it was more for, I mean, people read it, people commented, that sort of thing, but I think it was more for my benefit. It was kind of a combination of a couple different fanfics and canon, and it was something that I just wanted to, like, throw in a blender and churn out, and that's what happened. I got a couple chapters in, and then I was like, I'm bored. I don't want to write this. I'd rather read. I'm kind of lazy like that sometimes. <laughs> so so I kind of ended it. But I have like a running word document of just little ideas that shouldn't ever pop into my head again that I want to try that. Then at least I have some ideas and you know, something to go off of, but highly doubt I'll, I'll start writing again. I'm not the best writer in the world. <laughs> well, that's the awesome thing about fan fiction is though, it offers you a ready-made sandbox to play in. You've already exactly. got a world created. You've already got characters to play with. So you've got your building blocks and then it lets you ease into it. Plus you get instant feedback when you post this stuff. You get comments, exactly. you get kudos, you get, you know, hearts, whatever it is, whatever's specific to where you're posting it. So it's it's really encouraging for young writers. And yes, I think it's I a great agree. tool for writers to grow. Whether they just I write fan fiction or whether they start writing their own fiction. 
I do not write at all. I have no talent when it comes to writing. I tried a few times, and they're hidden away in a locked post on LiveJournal. Okay. <laughs> because you admitted that, I, I, will admit, <laughs> I, I will admit that I, too, on a on a, maybe two or three occasions, have attempted to write fic. Um, even thinking about what I wrote makes me cringe. <laughs> <laughs> but you tried uh, it. Yeah, and that's impressive. And I will, I will go so far as to as, as to admit. Oh my, I actually have like have like, I'm actually cringing. But I want to I want to be honest. Um, the t- I will just I will mention the two plots that I that I tried to put together. The first is um, I wanted to write a Sherlock Holmes go- goes to Hogwarts thing. Nice. And um. Wow. And it's they, they stun him. He wakes up in Hogwarts, um, and essentially they, he's able to deduce everything that that is that is going on. Even though they, and the reason why the wizards can't is because they rely on magic so much. And yeah, he, and, he, that. and uh, yeah, and he relies on his observation. I could see it. No, I could. I could. I could see that. That could be really. It could be really good. I'm not saying. No, no, voice. no. I'm sure. I'm sure it wasn't. <laughs> but the premise I mean, of it sounds terrible. Like, <laughs> the, premise, I, I, the premise sounds like it could be interesting. Yeah, I would. I would love to see it, but not through my own hand. That's just like. like <laughs> I'm I, sure somebody will send you a link after this podcast. I'm sure it's been written. <laughs> I'm sure it's been written. It's like Sherlock Holmes has been written in every single. I guarantee yeah. you, we <laughs> like, can go find a fic for you, John. I'm sure. Like, not to mention that blank goes to Hogwarts is a <laughs> sort of a thing, including Stephen Colbert and the truthiness of something. There's a Stephen Colbert oh, no. to Hogwarts one, which is very funny. Um, but yeah, blank goes to Hogwarts is now a fan fiction trope, pretty much. That's I, that I can imagine. And the uh, the second I tried to write this one was, I don't think I got past like the first paragraph. Was um, <laughs> I found there was a movie that came out a few years ago called The Book of Eli, and um, the end of the movie. Big spoiler alert! Turn off your hearing if you don't want to hear the end of The Book of Eli. Is that this this guy is the main character is actually blind as he's crossing the desert and fighting all these bad guys, trying to get this. It's a post-apocalyptic movie, and he's trying to get this book to civilization. And of course, at the end of the movie, the book's the Bible. And you know, big surprise. Um. So let me w- guess. In your universe, was it <laughs> Philosopher's Stone? No. It was, yeah. It was. It was actually all. It was all seven combined in this huge, heavy tome. And you know, the movie would be the Book of Rolling instead of the Book of Eli. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I think I could, if I ever, if I ever was drunk enough, I could probably convert the first paragraph to be a drabble, and or or just crackfic, just. Crackfic's a good thing, actually. I, and now fun. you get to define crackfic for I, uh, all of our listeners. All right, I will. <laughs> I will attempt to define crackfic. Please interject if I am missing some of the finer points of crackfic. As there are so many. Yes, my interpretation <laughs> of crackfic is fiction, fan fiction that is either voluntarily or not voluntarily insane, or so bad, it's like the badness is part of the genre. <laughs> like, I, I think that's fair. It's it's basically the most bizarre, strange, silly thing that you can imagine. It's it's the writer was on crack clearly <laughs> uh-huh. when they were writing, among clearly. other things. 
And uh, and Crackfit can be, like, dead serious, where the whole point is that it's more serious than it should be. And then it can also be completely ridiculous at the same time. But it's always good for a laugh. Yeah. Um, And that's why Crackfit is fun. My my favorite, uh, even though I don't read very much, but I I read a um, a graphic novel, uh, Crackfit. Uh, it was actually in a booklet of uh, various uh, Harry Potter um, uh, comic books, and it was. Um, God, I still love. I still love the pun that was the key to this whole story. It was uh, Draco is is Draco's in the forbidden section of the library, and he find and he finds a book of curses, and um, he wants to curse Harry's crew team for the Hogwarts rowing competition. So he casts a bad ship curse. And it backfires, and everyone oh. and everyone in Hogwarts starts pairing off with the worst ship. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, like Voldemort ends up with Hedwig. And, oh wow, <laughs> like, that's impressive. That's, and, that's really going. And, and I think it was like, like, um, like, and, and the thing is, is that they don't reveal that joke until near the end. It just starts like Draco can't figure out how Harry still won the boating competition, and then they're walking around school, and it's like you know. Uh, you know, Mr. You know, uh, uh, Filch is is you know making out with a ghost, and you know, and, and you know, and, and all these weird things are going on. And then at the end, they're like, Draco, what did you do?" And he was like, "I just cast a bad ship curse." Oh, <laughs> and oh! And I am a lover of horrible puns. Oh, so. that's a real shaggy dog, isn't it? <laughs> that's, so I got and the the art that accompanied it was was wonderful. I, I wish I remember who did the art. I actually. Uh, I would pack away right now, or else I would I would look it up. But uh, I I really that 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 was my example of of crack thick, but it was also really well done. We're proud of you, John. You came out of the closet because before you <laughs> said you didn't read it, and now look at you confessing. Well, I'm remembering the certain things <laughs> I have read. I mean, I just I, I don't read thick as a as a regular thing, and and but when you're on the internet as much as me, things come across your desk. <laughs> so I have to. Can I also add in um, another? fanfic um, definition, which is trollfic. I haven't heard this one. Trollfic is when somebody writes something. It's more than, more so even than crackfic. It's, um, a, it's an attempt to imitate the worst possible fan fiction ever. And um, the classic example is My Immortal. Um, Wait, which what? Is isn't My it, Immortal? Yeah, isn't My Immortal debated as to whether or not it was intentional? Well, that's what I mean. I mean, a lot of people think it's a troll fic, and that's uh, why that's what a troll fic is. Is it's somebody writing something that it's just so 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 dreadful, um, it, and it's intentionally dreadful, but it's meant to come off as though it's um, as though it's the real McCoy. Um, and so, a lot of people don't really like troll fics because they're it it isn't a real troll fic if it isn't trolling. You know, if it isn't trying to grab attention in this horrible sort of way. And so uh, I think a lot of people feel that there's enough stuff that's already awful on its own that you don't have to Yeah, why would you try to write it? I mean, really, it's already out there. Well, I mean, well, it's, I, that's why it's called troll fic, because the point of trolling is that you're a, mass, you're a sadist and you like pissing people off. Well, and also the thing is actually really if, if they hit enough – of the buttons, it can be extremely funny. Um, there was one that it's not so much a um, it's, it's not so much a troll fic exactly, but it's a, a parody of um, the kinds of fics that start with Hermione had changed a lot over the summer. <laughs> 
<laughs> and what's really funny is this is why I really cracked up at the beginning of Order of the Phoenix because Harry had changed a lot over the summer and I just thought, oh no, she doesn't know this. But usually what happens is she comes back to Hogwarts and she's gotten all emo and gothy and she's listening to things on her iPod and, you know, there's long, just, I mean, it's just, there's a specific kind of thing. Um, at the end of this fic, spoiler alert, you know, she's trying to seduce Snape and everybody else is acting in character. So they're reacting the way you might imagine. And, um, Snape goes to Dumbledore's office. He complains and, uh, Dumbledore takes, um, says, no, no, no. And they go to the library and there's the real Hermione. Wondering what's going on. And then they toss some water over the fake Hermione and she is a paper mache <laughs> Hermione and she's melting away saying, no, I just wanted to go to Hogwarts. In other words, she's, she's a 13 year old girl who's written a self insert of herself as, as Hermione. And it's really a brilliant little that's, thing. That's actually a brilliant piece of, it, of, of it, uh, not parody. What would it be? Satire. It is. Yeah. It is. It's really kind of. It's really, really kind of fun because it it hits on so many specific tropes of a, of a really bad fanfic, including the Mary Sue, which I'm sure we want to talk about at some point. Yes, <laughs> I'm not sure how to bring that up. <laughs> it's the elephant in the room. Uh, well, first, I want to for, for our listeners because we are we are we, we are targeting people who are getting who are new to fan fiction. I just want to um, give some background onto what My Immortal is since we brought it up. Uh, My Immortal is a famous or infamous piece of fanfic, very long, several chapters. Um, I don't – I'm not going to get into too much detail because I personally don't believe in bashing any fic. I, I think I, that's something I do not I – I find it a form of bullying and it's not my way of going about. Um, but My Immortal is, is considered to be not very good, um, and it's bad in a way that people think it was intentional. Um, in that there are lines that are just absurd and the main, like for, and, and certain things that occur during the fic, which are just like in the, like with a modern spell checker shouldn't happen. Uh, things like, uh, the main characters, her name changes Mm -hmm. in like two or three times during the course of the story. Um, what a lot of people don't know, and I actually want to point people towards this. I'm going to link it when we have our episode recap is that a, team of students filmed my immortal oh my <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's really terrible yeah. <laughs> and they did it in character in costume word for word oh wow and when you see some of the lines in that delivered <laughs> it's almost it's almost like dadaist <laughs> it, it, it's so Although there should be a warning on it because there's some stuff uh, in my immortal that's you know not safe for work let's put it that oh, way I, so i didn't actually know that okay no i mean yeah. it's it's something to know um if you do decide to click on that link be aware that uh that you might find something that's you know not something you wish to to look at or you know whatever not so it's not safe for work you know yeah. so, 17 I, I did not actually know that i appreciate thank you for letting us know um but yeah google my immortal uh I'll, I'll put up the link for the video um, and uh, let you guys find the thick on your own. <laughs> your voice had chased away all the sanity in me. These wounds won't seem to heal. This pain is just too real. There's just too. 
So our last two questions are about finding fic and how to get involved in writing fic. And uh, I'm hoping that with these two questions, we can give our audience an idea of how to get involved in this, this community and both as readers and as contributors. So how do you all find new fic to read? And are there any specific sites or forums that you like the most? Wow. Well, in the old days, it used to be Fiction Alley. Um, and uh, there also used to be, and some of them have just quietly folded um, because they lost the money or the people moved on. Um, but there were ones that I liked. There was one, um, a forum called uh, Checkmated, which was specifically um, Weasley-oriented. So it tended to be very canon, shippy, Ron Hermione. Uh, there was one called Sugar Quill that was like that. Um, there was something called the Werewolf Registry, which was mostly Remus Sirius. Um, and they weren't huge. And the nice thing about that, about those those little ones, you can find them with a minimal amount of hunting around on almost any Harry Potter um, site. You find, let's say if you go to MuggleNet and you look at some of their fanfics and you find one or two that you like, um, you can sort of figure out, well, where did that come from? Where else is, has it been posted? And there's a chance that you'll find other things that are similar. Um, and those smaller ones, the nice thing is, let's say you only want to read things that are plausible and canon, or you only want to read things that aren't, um, then it provides a little filter for from the just huge tidal wave that is Harry Potter fanfic. It's impossible to keep up with. So that, that would be that would be my strategy on trying to find new Harry Potter fanfic, for sure. Or going to conventions and just talking to people. Because you start talking to somebody and you say, hey, that sounds really cool. I'll have to go and look that up. You mentioned Sugar Quill. I know that Sugar Quill is actually still open as an archive. I know that there's no new posts to it, but it, the archive is still functional. And I think Fiction Alley still still has oh, posts. Fiction Alley is still it's still live, and there's still fic being posted to it. Not much, but it still is getting posts. And they still have their archives, right? And yeah, yeah. they still have everything archived. So I, actually, I have stuff on 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 Fiction Alley. Fiction Alley was a great idea. I mean, I, I still think it's a great site. It's a it's a good place to start, actually. So looking historically, I actually went through and did a bit of research for us. And in the past, popular archives were Fiction Alley, as mentioned. Um, there's a lot of fic there. And it's broken down into different segments. They've got four distinct areas. where So if you want to read something that's novel length, they have an area called Schnoogle. I'm, I'm not sure I'm pronouncing that right, but... <clears throat> You want novel length fic? Go to Schnoogle. I just want to say the word over and over. <laughs> um, romance fix they keep in the Astronomy Tower. Humor fix are in the Ridiculous area, but spelled like the... Spelled. Ridiculous. Yes. Ridiculous. Spelled like Ridiculous. Spelled. Ridiculous. I cannot speak tonight. And angsty horror stuff is in the dark arts. Wait, wait. They, co they combined angst and horror? Right? <laughs> like, <laughs> because angst is horror. Don't you know that? <laughs> Sometimes it is horrible, but not quite in that way. You know. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. I'm not responsible for these these divisions, people. I'm just telling you. I'm not criticizing. I'm just. But 
Those fix are still up there. Yeah. So you can you can go to fictionality.blogspot.com and and go look through their archive and and read that. Uh, their forums are still available and can be posted to, but there's barely any action hack happening on them. Sugar Quill, as mentioned, I'm biased. I'll admit that freely right now because that's where I used to post. Mm-hmm. My fiction is actually still up there. Um, Sugar Quill was awesome. It is just an archive now. It is completely defunct. There are no forums. Um, no new fiction has been accepted since 2009. But there's some fantastic work posted on it. Gryffindor Tower used to be popular. They're gone now. Um, fanfiction.net has been around forever, and they still get a lot of, of fic posted to them. That's one of the top areas to post now. Um, but it's it's the Walmart of fan fiction, though. It is. I, I've yes. heard it called, and I still love this term, the pit of voles. <laughs> fan, fanfic.net is called. So you have these it, blind, like, cave-dwelling... <laughs> well, no, voles in the sense of, like, really, I think, just being vicious and, like, oh. sort of tiny. But, and, but there's wonderful stuff on it, too. It's just there's so much stuff. It is like Walmart. It, it is huge, but one good thing about fanfiction.net, okay... Walmartness aside, pit of, pit of voles aside, it has a specific beta reader section oh, where beta yeah. reader profiles are listed that gives details about the betas, what they like to read, the type of betas that they offer, and it allows people to contact them. I think wow. that is like freaking amazing. It's, that is a wonderful resource. It's almost for, like a freelancing like job board for betas. Pretty much. So you can post if you want to beta something for someone, you can post up there. If you're looking for a beta, you can contact people. I think that's a fantastic resource. So for that reason alone, fanfiction.net gets, you know, a little thumbs up for me on that one. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So if we're talking about where you want to go to read current fit, like what are the most popular archives right now? When I was asking around, archive of our own gets mentioned quite a lot. It's multi-fandom, but it has a very active HP section. And it has ratings, warnings, pairing descriptions, So, and it allows filtering. So depending on what you're looking for, you can easily filter and search and find it. It doesn't have any forums, um, so that's kind of not so great. But it's got tons of fic on it, and you can search it up. Uh, Fanfiction.net, as mentioned, Sycophant Hex came up as well. It's one of the best-known Snape Hermione archives, but they do have other um, fix posted. So pretty much a little bit of everything. And like fan, like Fiction Alley, they're broken into sections. So you've got Ashwinder, which is the Snape Hermione section, Chaos, which is their cross-genre original fic, um, non-HP fic, Eros and Sappho, which is their slash fic, Lumos, which is their general HP fanfic, and Occlumency, which is Snape-centric fic that isn't Snape Hermione. So clearly, Sycophant Hex kind of has a Snape slant to it. Um, they do have a forum, but it's not really active. And then we've got adultfanfiction.org. Uh, Definitely a not safe for work site. No. That will not be linked on our website. 
No. Yeah. We are mentioning it because we're adults. We are adults, and some people like to to read adult fan fiction. It's it's definitely a niche market, but it has a lot of people who enjoy it. If you're under 18, do not go to this website. Please don't go to this website and let your parents hunt us down and kill us later because that would be sad. Um, But as we mentioned earlier, you know, there are lots of pairing-specific sites. There are lots of niche communities like LiveJournal and other blogging communities where you can find – just really specific if, if you're really into um, Slash. There are tons of Slash communities. If you're really into snooping, there are communities for that where you can just read fic based on that. Um, we found an awesome archive list, and that will be in our show notes. Yeah, we will definitely – it's from a website called Fanlore, and that will definitely be in our show notes. And that is a master archive to help you get started. Moving on to our next guest – Lauren, how do you find new fic to read? Well, I found fanfiction.net. That was my favorite place for the longest time. And then a couple authors that I kind of gravitated towards. um, And then just, you know, other betas. Because I, at one point, was a beta reader. And in talking to other ones, um, I found a bunch of other different sites. But... Really, if you go to Google and just type it in, like if you don't find, you'll find something. If you don't, if you go to these websites and you don't see what you're looking for, which would be impossible because it's all there. But if you can't find something, just go to Google because it's out there. (laughs) I guarantee it. And Heather, you mentioned that you don't read too much fic these days. No, not really. Uh, occasionally I'll read something, again, off a of Tumblr from uh, Lives and Lies of Wizards or American Wizarding, things that go into the world building, but I don't really go actively searching out fic anymore. Hopefully we could post some of those Tumblrs on our website. It sounds like you focus a lot on, on meta stuff. Yeah. Yes, I do. So for our final question, and I'm hoping this would be uh, very informative to our listeners, if someone wants to get involved with fic writing in particular – how do you suggest they start, and how do you suggest they become part of the FIC community? Where can they find betas? Where can they volunteer as betas? Uh, is there anything in sp- anything specific that you could suggest to them to get involved in this process? Well, it seems to me um, the first thing, obviously, if you want to write fanfic, it's true if you want to write anything, um, you don't write the great American novel by never reading anything, and you don't write the great American fanfic by never reading anything either. Um, so you, you have to sort of read widely. You get an idea of what's out there um, and start to enjoy it and see where people are. Um, I have to admit, I I never use a beta. The only time I've ever used a beta was when I was posting to a site that made me go through the process of using a beta. And that's because uh, I'm an English professor and I'm arrogant and I feel like, uh, no, people can find mistakes. It's not that nobody can find a mistake, but um, it's not, it's, it's not quite the same. um, It's, there's not quite the same probability of it. What you're Um, saying is you don't routinely dribble on yourself. (laughs) When you're uh, well, I, I mean, the thing is that normally the mistakes have already been made, both in terms of uh, 
figuring out what's accurate because I'm fussy about that. But also, you know, I'm so old that all of my the equivalent of fan fiction horribleness that I ever committed was well pre-internet. So, I, I mean, I'm good to go. As far as anybody knows, I was always a terrific writer, <laughs> right? Um, all the – and it's funny because, of course, when I look back at some of my old things – um, it, it's clearly, it is fanfic, really. I'm an eight-year-old kid and I'm writing something that's inspired by Danny Dunn and the homework machine. Um, that's one of the reasons and I wanted to toss this in here. I, I know a lot of people who, uh, consider, sort of underestimate fanfiction, including, um, a lot of my colleagues. And the assumption is if you're not uh, the only reason somebody would write fanfic is because they're not creative enough to come up with their own characters or they're somehow uh, less than. And I, I don't feel that that's true. Um, there are so many people who are active writers and who are good writers and who have attended conferences like uh, the HBEF cons and, uh, and Mysticon. They're good published authors and they also write fanfic. And uh, often they got their start that way. They met other people, including literary agents and editors that way. So it's it's often it's its own kind of um, its own genre, really. It's its own genre. Um, it's a challenge to match the world and match the characters and be able to write in a way that works with that. Um, so really, it really does come down to starting slowly and participating in the community and just as you would if you were walking into um, a room full of people who were already having a conversation you'd sort of stand there a little while and uh, and sort of absorb what people were saying and start to um, filter your way into the conversation and have that have that happen and that's really good because it means that when you first start to write fanfic you will probably write something that has been written a million times before. Only you won't know that, and that'll be a legitimate thing to do. Um, but as you start to read things, you'll start to say, oh, my goodness, this is this this particular premise has been done a lot, so I'm going to do something that's slightly different. Awesome. Uh, I have a question about betas. Um, I always thought that a beta was more than just copy editing, um, that they also helped you craft your story. Uh, is that common or, un or uncommon with, with betas? It really depends. Um, I, I guess one of the things that um, I know, I think Fictionality used to have betas as well. And uh, you, you'll have everything from somebody who would just sort of correct mechanical mistakes or tell you where those were to do something called Brit picking. Uh, just yes. <laughs> that, that you're going to have to define. That's People. That I was thinking of that too. It's it's such a specific thing, though. It was so specific to Harry Potter fanfic. Why don't you mention what Brit picking is? Because I think it's actually important to Harry Potter fanfic. It's Brit picking was when you hopefully got someone who was British to go through and make sure that all of your references were were actually Brit appropriate. So you weren't using terms that no self respecting Brit would ever use in a bajillion years. Okay. Hey, Mr. Me. I'm British. I know how to kill. And, yeah. um. It was double checking to say the trunk of a car instead of the boot of a car or lift and elevator or sweater and jumper. Um, exactly. And it's 
that even if you're even if you've lived in England as I did for for three years, um, you still your default approach if you're American you're going to you're going to lapse into it. There's nothing wrong with being American, by the way. Um, to have somebody either who is paying attention and is new to your work, or ideally, as you point out, somebody who is British, look at it and say, "Oh, this just stands out. This is this is Harry is sounding too American here." So some betas will do Brit picking. And um, some betas will actually help you look at things like the structure of your work, look at whether characters seem in character or not. Um, and in addition to betas helping you with that, sometimes you'll post a fic and somebody will find something and say, this this doesn't work. And it's hard to offer what's called concrete uh, constructive criticism because many people really don't want constructive criticism. Well, they'll say they do, but it's a little bit like, do I look fat in this dress? <laughs> and there's only one answer to that. Sometimes people really want to know, is this flattering to me? Does this work? Or is this really something that I should do in terms of fic? And once you've gotten that response, sometimes people really want to know, hmm, here's this detail that isn't right. Or you're referring to, a you're suggesting that a character... Um, wouldn't want to be, wouldn't understand that another character didn't like to be laughed at. But in book four, that character was laughed at and hated it. So you, you, that doesn't work. You're going to have to either incorporate that or change it or acknowledge it. Um, and those are things that are both beta and also readers. And people will go back sometimes and they'll tweak it and they'll change it. It's one of the things that makes fanfic um, a challenging and um, and an interesting thing to do. Oh, and may I also mention very briefly the concept of closed canon? Um, some fandoms are, of course, evolving. Doctor Who is coming out with new episodes all the time. So when you publish a fanfic that's based on Doctor Who, at any moment the show could come come along and completely contradict what you wrote, um, and that's both exciting and it's challenging trying to keep it up to date with whatever is going on if you care about canonicity at all with harry potter you have a closed canon so unless and honestly i kind of don't care what jk rowling says in <laughs> interviews um but but the thing is if something else unless she publishes say a whole new thing or there's a set of of new movies or something the the, the canon is essentially closed so you don't have that problem, but also you don't have that that challenge in a way. Um, that's that's something that the the feedback and the the response and um, the the sort of being able to adjust things as you go on. That's one of the that's one of the pleasures I think of writing fanfic. And for me, the the best the best possible compliment. I could get would be like, this is almost like a chapter that was missing from the book. This is almost like I could really believe that this is that, that this was really part imagine. of it. Now it's a great feeling, you know, cause JK Rowling, I mean, we're here because she's just, because she's awesome. Right. Um, another thing that I, uh, that I liked about betas is, um, like if you had a certain writer that maybe had a couple stories going at once, whether it was Harry Potter or whatever, you know, that they were talking about, there's been a few writers that I've baited for that 
you know, it was also about keeping in line with their same story, not just the whole grammar and, you know, correcting any horrible mistakes that they were making, but also making sure that, hey, you didn't talk about this in this story. That was this other one because, you know, we all are busy and everything. And so sometimes and some of that stuff crosses over when maybe they don't mean to. Um, but honestly, a way that I would suggest if people want to get into the fanfic community is, you know, like it's been suggested, is to, you know, go online, read some stories. If you find that you are liking an author, because a lot of times they'll put author's notes before or after the chapter. And if you find that you like what they're saying or you kind of have that connection with them, I would almost email them and say, hey, you know, I'm just starting up. What are some suggestions? You know, who do you use as beta? What, you know, where should I kind of get my start? And I found that that can be really helpful because everybody kind of wants to see everybody else succeed in that community. I mean, I have yet to come across somebody that's like, Gur, don't talk to me, go away. Um, so it's, it almost is like a compliment to them that you're approaching them you know, to ask for information and advice. So that's something too, is just to kind of watch the stories, see which ones you like and approach them and see what information and advice they can give you. That's some excellent advice. Our guests need to head out for now. Lauren, Melissa, thank you so much for your help tonight. I think we provided a really great picture of fan fiction today and how people can get involved. Well, thank you for inviting me. I had a wonderful time, you know, anytime, anytime. Seriously. Thank you. We definitely hope to have you back. Thank you so much. Lauren, thank you. Slytherins work hard five days of the week. At the week's end, it's pleasure that we seek. No one really knows what we get up to in the Slytherin dungeons. We now bring you this month's Fandom Fidelis, the Harry Potter fandom events occurring during the month of March. Saturday, March 15th, the Central Florida Slug Club is attending the Chivalry Cup, a Quidditch mini-tournament held at the University of Central Florida. Then on Sunday, March 30th, at Central Park, Winter Park, Florida, they are having a craft meetup painting Lumos Knox plates, or as we call them, light switch plates. The DADA of Alexandria, Virginia, is attending Medieval Madness at Renaissance Hall, a historical-themed dinner show on Saturday, March 8th. Then they are attending the Think Geek Pub Quiz on Wednesday, March 12th. DADA is keeping busy as they have a third event. Saturday, March 15th, they are holding up Oceans class where their members will learn the basics of Muggle Mixology. DADA finishes up the month with a Care of Magical Creatures practical at Kings Park Community Library where they will be making toys for shelter animals. This is on Saturday, March 29th. Moving to the West Coast... HPDFW is having Dobby's third annual sock exchange on Saturday, March 29th. HP Colorado is having a birthday party celebrating the March birthdays of Ron, James, and Remus, as well as their members. This is on Saturday, March 22nd. Los Angeles Dumbledore's Army is having their third Wizard Chef cooking battle event on Saturday, March 15th. Join Port Key to Magic, the Tampa Bay Area HP Meetup, at the Bay Area Renaissance Festival on Saturday, March 8th. The Orange County HP Meetup is having their monthly meeting Tuesday, March 18th, at the Corner Bakery on City Boulevard. Potterdelphia is having their monthly meeting at the Library Place Food Court on Sunday, March 16th. 
the Hollows and Horcruxes ball is having its seventh and unfortunately final year. Held by the K-State Harry Potter Alliance on Saturday, March 8th, it features nine amazing wizard rock bands. Tickets are still available. There are some great events this March, and as always, you can find links to them on the episode summary section of our website. If you have an upcoming event you want listed, you can contact us through there as well. We can be found at www.alwayspodcast.com. Welcome to Wizarding Wares, where we share all the latest Harry Potter finds in the merchandise world with you. This week, I have a couple new features to bring you. First, we're going to talk about Alavans. Now, I'm sure many of you have heard of Alavans. They do uh, wands. They're pretty popular, and they've been used in some of the fan movies and, and other things. But fairly recently, Alavans started offering a custom wand design feature. So you can design your wand however you would like, any wood you would like, you just send the details over to them and they'll make it for you. Prices range from $50 to $60 and after you've settled on a design with their designer, you go back and forth with some emails. It'll be about three to four weeks before you receive your wand, but I just love the idea of being able to design whatever you want. So if you have a Pottermore wand that you really like, you could have them create it. Or you can use your imagination. Can they, like, recreate, like, the boldy wand? Like, you know how it kind of, like, kind of hooks and fits into your finger? Or can they do all the fancy designs? Yeah, they totally can. But I would say if you're going for the boldy wand, isn't isn't that already available? What if I wanted it in, like, you know, Hawthorne or something? I don't know. I just That's want to get true. an idea of, like, the, like, how much detail they can do. I would say pretty darn detailed. I mean, if you've looked at their wands, they've got some gorgeous custom work going on. They've got, they, they can do the recreations of like the Hermione wand with the intricate scrolling and, and all of that detail. So they can get pretty darn detailed. It's a really exciting feature. I'm really tempted to start drawing some wands now and, and go get yet another wand because clearly four is not enough. Well, Heather, you live, like, what, 15 minutes away from Wizarding World of Harry Potter. How many wands do you have? You know, I only have two right now. I've had some Ollivan's wands before, and I've broken them uh, through a little bit of misuse on my part. Um, and I swore I wasn't going to buy any of the wands over there until I was chosen for the Ollivander show. Uh, so I got chosen not too long ago, and that's how I got my second wand. I had uh, one of the Ollivan's wands before that I've been keeping on. That's the one that I use most of the time. Gotcha. So you wouldn't consider getting a brand new Ollivan's wand that is like custom made to your liking, fancy feathers. <laughs> I'm really tempted. Uh, my Potter wand, uh, Pottermore wand was elm, and I really want one in that wood. Well, they could do that for you. Like I said, they offer like tons of different woods, including some really hard to find ones. So it's worth checking out. Oh, now, mind. one of our next find is. I don't know about you guys, but I am in love with the props from the Harry Potter movies. Like, that's one of the things I feel like they really got right is just the whole look and feel. Like, especially when we're talking, like, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes and the school books. And, and it's all so gorgeous. So I don't know if you know this, but the team who designed all of that worked on all of the movies. They're called Mina Lima. And they have something called the Printorium where you can buy prints from the original designs. Like, you can get 
recreations of the quibbler covers and daily different daily profits and like lots of different quibbler covers because i know that you can get like one of the quibbler covers from warner brothers but it's just one you can get a bunch of different ones from mina lima you can get just just different stuff but the the prices range from eighty dollars for the smaller prints such as book covers and merchandise labels from weasley wizard wheezes up to five hundred dollars for a signed limited edition hand detailed print of things like the Daily Profit cover. So that's the printorium.com and they are just gorgeous. And if you happen to be in Orlando at any point in time soon, they're actually selling some of those over at the theme park as well, over at Islands of Adventure. If you get a chance to see these in person, they are absolutely gorgeous. I highly recommend buying one of these if that's the sort of thing you're interested in. Uh, my personal favorite was the Mudbloods and how to spot them. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm talking about, Lily. Like, just all the detail that they put into that stuff is just amazing. There's so much more that we don't see necessarily unless you're slowing down the movie and looking at it. It's well, you do see it. Like, if you ever get a chance to go to Leavesden, all the printed material is, is everything is there. And it's absolutely the, – the level of detail that they went through to create a cereal box, for example, it's amazing. So I'm glad that Mina Liam is, is selling this to the public. That's awesome. And our final find is going to be our Etsy find of the month. Um, I'm into sparkly things this month, so I found some overloaded charm bracelets. They are freaking fantastic. Now, they are made by Mistress Jenny, and she does just these amazingly detailed bracelets that have all sorts of charms from anywhere from like 10 to 30 charms on them and little beads, and they're just they're gorgeous. So there's ones for each house, of course. There's also an Order of the Phoenix bracelet. There's a Potions Masters bracelet. Just lots of stuff. She also does custom work if you're interested in having your own bracelet made. And prices range from $50 to $80. I know that's a little pricey, but if you see these, they're totally worth it. They're really good quality. Full disclosure, I have encountered this person on, on Crafter.org where I do a lot of trades and stuff. So I know that she is awesome and does really good work. But if you have a chance, check it out. We'll put the links in our show notes, of course. And that is Etsy.com forward slash shop Mistress Jenny. Oh, my goodness. I'm looking at her Etsy shop now. First, let me say she has five stars and over 200 ratings. But there's so many charms on these bracelets. It's totally worth it. They, she even has a Care of Magical Creatures bracelet that kind of yeah. goes into, like, a color wheel. Like, everything is kind of color-coordinated. Oh, this is so awesome. Great find. Yeah, like I said, I call them overloaded charm bracelets for <laughs> suckers. They might, like, bring your arm down to the ground. They are, they, they're so full of stuff, but they are full of awesome. That's all we have for you this week. So if you have a special find that you'd like to see featured on Wizarding Wares, please shoot us an email, and you just might hear it on our next podcast. Welcome, everyone, to Potter Watch, where we tell you what's going on in the world of Potter. The biggest news for the past month is the JKR announcement of her having some second thoughts about pairing Hermione with Ron. I know you guys have a lot of opinions about this. Jen, what's yours? I think that um, the comments were taken out of context and blown totally out of proportion. I find the events of that week between when the initial um, info was released, and when the full article was released, kind of hilarious. Just people were so pissed off. 
so many people were so, so mad. I had members calling me up like, oh, my God, did you hear what she said? They were like, I have to kill her. I have to kill her. I hate JKR. I'm like, chill the heck out. It's just an interview. Wait for the full one to come out. And and when the full interview came out, she's like, no, no, I think they would have worked out. But it was totally kind of wish fulfillment. And as a, you know, a writer, I can see what she's saying. You you interject part of yourself into a story, whether you mean to or not. And with a bit of age and time, you can see where you've done that more. And she's allowed to have her opinion. You know, looking back on it, maybe Harry Hermione, but no, Ron and Hermione is good. Heather, what do you think? This was a weird flashback to 2006 when everything first went down. All the ships were going up against each other. It was total chaos as everybody, all the Ron Hermione shippers were up against the Harry Hermione shippers, all over something that we didn't really have the full story on. Uh, made me very glad that I used to ship uh, the rare pairs and kind of stayed out of this. For me, it was funny. For some other people, it was way serious. Well, the actions were just really extreme in a lot of cases. I mean, let's, let's be, we're all adults here, you know. I honestly felt that Ron couldn't challenge Hermione intellectually. I mean, the relationship could work, but I think there could have been challenges there. And, um, you know, I think with canceling, they would have been successful. But I honestly, throughout the whole series, were hoping for Harry Hermione. But it didn't upset me at all, you know, that she, that she ended up with Ron. Um, but I, I felt like Ron was just such a, I don't know. He was just Ron. You know, I can also say that opposites do attract and that that can work. Um, I've been with my husband for 20 years now. And um, we met when I was still in high school. I'm not that old. But we are total and complete opposites. And it works because, you know, the the areas that I'm lacking in, he fills out and, and vice versa. I'm totally serious. He's a total nutcase goofball. It works. I, I just think that Harry and Hermione are both really intense people, and, and I'm not sure how that would have worked. But I think that Ron needed Hermione more than Hermione needs Ron. Does that make sense? Like, he needs her to help balance out his life. There was definitely a lot of uproar in the fan community, and, you know, it's so funny. Like, to your point, Jen, we only got a tidbit. Like, I think that it was leaked, like, four or five days before the um, actual Wonderland article came out. And you didn't understand the context of it. It just went nuck and fud. Do you not feel that that was deliberate, though? Like, I oh, feel yeah. like they released those little tidbits deliberately just to inflame fandom. I feel like they put the most extreme spin on it that they could. They, they took the quotes that would make people the maddest and let just those out. But who do, who's they? Do you think it's Wonderland or, like... Yeah, totally. That wasn't a slip. That was... Like a Twitter post or something. That was deliberately released. It wasn't Definitely. It made sure that everyone went and read the article once it actually was released. And, hey, from that perspective, it worked, right? They it probably did. got a much wider audience than they would have. And there's crazy media pickup. Did you guys – Are you first of all, are you guys Stephen Colbert fans? I've watched the show some, so I, I'm familiar with it. I'm, I'm more of a Jon Stewart girl, but gotcha. Colbert has his moments. Well, Same. Well, you know he's a, a huge Harry Potter fan, and he did a little bit on it. Did you guys hear about that? Yeah, I watched that segment. It was pretty funny, I have to admit. Heather, did you did you hear about that? <laughs> I did. I've only seen the gifts on Tumblr, though. I haven't actually watched the segment. Oh, okay. So he demanded that J.K. write the new books based on the whole new ship thing. The first one is called Harry Potter and the Realization He's Made a Huge Mistake. 
And the premise is Harry turns his back on his wife and kids and has an illicit affair with Hermione at the Hogsmeade Best Western in room 414 and three quarters. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> Come on. So, so bad. It is so bad. And then he goes on to say, That's not Moaning Myrtle you're hearing. Oh, <laughs> so wrong. So wrong. And then he's like, Don't worry, guys. You know, Ron's going to have a, a new book too, and it's called. Ron Weasley and the Studio Apartment of Shame. And <laughs> Poor Ron. <laughs> where Ron goes on fantastic adventures with his new best friends, a bottle of tequila, and a futon he found on the curb. <laughs> That's hilarious. So, Jake here, I think a week after the Wonderland uh, article, uh, gave a speech at Exeter's College. And she did say, to address the whole ship thing, that Harry did love Jenny. And did you know that Harry Potter could have been named Harry Blatt? What? What? Oh, yeah. She was considering calling Harry Potter Harry Blatt. Worst name ever. Yeah. It is the worst name. Even if it was Harry Blatt, that doesn't have the ring as Harry Potter, right? Blatt is not a good name. I apologize right now to anyone named Blatt. Please don't send me personal hate mail. But for a character name, no. There are so many unfortunate things you can rhyme that with. And it just sounds like something that got hacked onto the floor. And it only bit. makes it worse when you think about what the kids are named, Albus Severus Blatt. That is an awful <laughs> name. It does. It sounds like you're hawking it up. Albus <laughs> Severus Blatt. <laughs> All right. Let's talk about Cuckoo's Calling. I know this is not Harry Potter, but I've read Cuckoo's Calling. Have you guys read this? Yes. I love it. I loved it. Heather, did you read it? I haven't read it yet. I've heard so many good things about it, though. If you like mystery and that is the kicker. You have to like mysteries because it is a classic mystery novel. It follows a lot of the tropes, but it's really good writing. It's the it's the sequel, not sequel, but it's the it's the follow-up book that I wanted from JKR because I personally I know there are lots of people who loved Casual Vacancy. I am not one of them, but I adored Cuckoo's Calling, so I'm so excited for the sequel. We held book club a month after Casual Vacancy uh, was released, and we were all super excited. And we all went to book club like, uh, this is well written, but uh, this is not what we're into. And it was probably something very personal to her. I feel like if I was a middle-aged divorcee, I would be okay with that book, but I did not enjoy that book. I was really hesitant to read Cuckoo's Calling, and I ended up reading it, actually listening to it because I'm really lazy and I do audiobooks. I listened to it three times in a row. It was so good. So the sequel, The Silkworm, is going to be released in June, and she just announced a couple of days ago that she's mapped out a seven-book series. So it's not guaranteed that we'll have seven books like the Harry Potter series, but she's mapped out a seven-book series. I'm kind of excited about that. I'm kind of wondering why she's obsessed with the number seven. I'm not saying it's bad. I adore the number seven. It's one of my lucky numbers, but it's just odd, because normally in books, you it's a trilogy. That's pretty common. Well, that's actually the most common. Or you do, like, freaking 20 of them, like some of the urban fantasy ones that, you know, those series won't ever, ever die. Well, because they're standalone. So Corman Strikes the P.I., which I think is a spinoff for Mad-Eye Moody. Did you get that, Jen? Because I felt like he was Mad-Eye Moody. I didn't feel that so much. So I felt like he could see things that other people couldn't see. He had a bum leg. Or maybe I was just wanting it so badly to be like Harry Potter. (laughs) (laughs) That could be what it is. You know, he could take on all these different cases, and it's a brand new book each time. I think seven's a good number. I think after seven, it might get a little stale. So I hope, hopefully she does all seven. That's the cool thing about a mystery 
series is that you can do as many as you want. I, I read the Harry Dresden books, and there's like 15, there will be 15 of them because a new one comes out this year. They're still excellent, you know, 15 in. It's a new story every time. That's the wonder of it. To promote the book, J.K.R. is going to appear as Robert Galbraith, her pseudonym, at the Old Peculiar Crime Writing Festival, July 17th-20th, in an event called Conversation with Val McDermott, for what's being billed as J.K.R.'s first and only appearance this year as Robert Galbraith. So, I don't know, do you think she'll be cross-dressing? Or she's just going to go up on stage and say, hey, I'm Robert, what's up? I don't think she'll be cross-dressing. <laughs> but, can I just say that I adore the name of that writing festival? <laughs> I know, it's so random. How awesome is that? I want to go, even if JKR wasn't there, I want to go just for that name. I think you should go. You're you're our resident writer. I think you should do it. Oh, so tempted. Okay, so you guys know what Minecraft is? Yes, sadly. Can Okay, so you know that there's a Harry Potter Minecraft. They built out Hogwarts and Hogsmeade. You can go to classes. First, just tell me what Minecraft is. Heather, do you know more than I do? I know a little. I know almost nothing. I just know something that's with a video game. <laughs> okay, I guess I'm... I, I'm not big on Minecraft. I just know that it's like this little pixel world. It's it's like eight bit pixel things. You you build a world essentially. So it's it's just like Legos for the computer. I'm not at all familiar with the Harry Potter Minecraft. So okay, so you build this world, and can you have friends in the world? Like, can people come visit your castle, or like how how does that work? I guess so. Okay, <laughs> I haven't played it. <laughs> And you actually know what? I'm a bad parent because my daughter asked me this weekend to help her set up a Minecraft account, and I didn't do that. So if you ask me next weekend, maybe I can tell you. Okay, homework for this next month. Set up your child for Minecraft and try to get into Hogsmeade and Hogwarts. And then you're going to give us a you're gonna give us a detailed report back next month. <laughs> okay, I accept your mission. Okay, and the latest from Pottermore. So JKR added some audio clips about Gilderoy Lockhart. Did you guys listen to those? Not yet. I'm looking forward to it, though. That's okay, because I'm going to tell you what it is. And if you're listening and you don't want to know and you want to hear it for yourself, turn it off for a few minutes. Okay, Gilderoy Lockhart is not a pseudonym. It is his real name, even though it's flashy. And JKR says that it says a lot about his mother, who was very ambitious for her son and encouraged in the belief that he was a remarkable person. Definitely fit his personality, don't you think? Explains a lot. <laughs> he was the only child in his family that showed magical ability. Obviously, he was extremely proud to be going to Hogwarts. And did you know he was a Ravenclaw? No, I didn't know, which I find bizarre. But I guess he'd have to be pretty darn smart to master some of the spells that he mastered to be obliviating everybody's memory. Because he's really skilled at that one. But that he one sucked spell. at everything else, right? He sucked at every other spell. But, you know, that's always been kind of my headcanon of Ravenclaw is just the idea that maybe they're not intelligent about everything, but they've got that one subject that they love, and they just learn everything about it, you know? He was really, really skilled with Obliviate and with those sorts of spells. I mean, really skilled when you look at what he did. So he was just lazy and didn't want to put in the time to, to do the remarkable things that he was doing. But he had to be pretty smart to pull off faking that many people out. You know, he was ambitious. He wanted to uh, start his own line of hair care products because he was so proud of his wavy hair. And he <laughs> discovered the luster-giving properties of Akami eggs, which are a very dangerous creature with silver eggs. But he found that procuring the eggs were too dangerous and expensive. So no hair care line. Ah, uh, well. And then he lost his memory, so. I'm glad that he's a Ravenclaw, though. Uh, just let me add that because I hate the idea that all bad guys are Slytherins. That's always annoying to the crap out of me because it's too 
too narrow casting. Well, J.K.R. did say he narrowly escaped Slytherin. Yes, but at least he escaped Slytherin. <laughs> yes, because yes. the only example of a really good Slytherin that we have is Slughorn, who is not that likable a character overall. No, but at the end, he jumped on the right path, so that's awesome. And so did Snape, right? Yeah, let's not go into that argument. I know. All <laughs> night. And oh. I will get hate mail on that one if we talk about that right now. Hey, we haven't gotten any hate mail yet. We basically have said some things that are pretty blasphemous in the fandom, so I'm sure we're fine. <laughs> okay, so did you know that Wizards are a fan of Scottish rugby? I saw that on JKR's Twitter this week. I was... I was very confused. It was very random. Okay, so here's what I got. I was really confused about it, too. JKR reveals why many in the Wizarding World are avid supporters of the Scottish rugby team despite being forbidden from participating in muggle sports themselves. Unfortunately, Cricket found little favor with Wizard Kind. As the chief sports writer in the Daily Prophet wrote in 1902, a beater who is unable to fly defends three sticks instead of a hoop, while a snitch without wings is thrown at the sticks. That's it. Sometimes for several days. Rugby held more appeal. Wizards could not help but admire the strength and courage of muggles prepared to engage in a sport so brutal without recourse to disapparating out of the way or access to skeletal to repair broken bones. It must be admitted that there was an edge of uh, sadism to some wizards' enjoyment. That makes sense? A little bit. I just think it was JKR supporting rugby and trying to tie it into the wizards. I think so, too. (laughs) I was like, I get that you love rugby. That's awesome, but... I feel this is a little iffy on the tie-in. And then she goes on to say, Wizarding supporters of Scottish Rugby Union, the WSSRU, which exists to this day, has both Scottish and foreign Wizarding members. They meet on the eve of every Scottish international match and anticipate a happy 80 minutes of watching muggles trample each other into the mud. So, yeah, I would agree that it's probably that she super loves rugby. Yeah. Okay. It was the weirdest Twitter post that I've seen from her. I'll put that out there. She doesn't post very often to Twitter. It was odd, but I figured, you know, it's part of Potter. We have to talk about it. And if you're going to have a baby in Sonora, Mexico, don't even think about naming your baby Harry Potter because it is illegal beagle. And you can't name it, you know, a handful of other names like Pocahontas, Rambo, Facebook, and Twitter. Just so you know, if you're tempted, those are totally off the table. In uh, where? (laughs) Sonora, Mexico. Sonora, Mexico. Yes. But because I live in Texas, I can totally name my kid Facebook. You you absolutely can. You absolutely I'm going to have another kid right now just for that. So Face- I can screw them up that much. <laughs> Facebook <laughs> RoboCop Superman Harry Potter. There you go. That's almost child abuse right there. <laughs> <laughs> this is very wrong. And, and then finally, I'm going to turn this over to Heather, who um, is our co-host who lives in Orlando and has an annual pass. Give us an update on the Wizarding World of Harry Potter. Oh, man, I am so excited about the new Diagon Alley expansion. And luckily, I'm not the only one who's excited. The Universal team members all just... They're just as thrilled as we are about this. Every time you go over there, if you're wearing a Harry Potter shirt or robes or whatever, they're so excited to talk to you about some of the things that they've heard about the construction, uh, what they can release, of course. Um, one of the things that I've heard is that there may be butterbeer ice cream over at uh, Fortescue's Ice Cream Parlor. Uh, there's supposed to be 
uh, some more merchandise for all four of houses, which I'm sure is going to excite all the Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws out there. Uh, though sadly, Ravenclaws, I think you're still going to be stuck with the blue and silver and the raven on there. Uh, there's also going to be RFID-equipped wands sold in Ollivanders that interact with the window displays. And Ooh, there's supposed nice. to be a moving brick wall inside the leaky cauldron to enter Diagon Alley. Um, there's some rumors, though, that the construction is a little bit behind. Uh, it was supposed to open sometime in June. They didn't have an official date yet, but they were shooting for June before all the craziness of summertime. And usually around July 4th, it's just insane down here in Orlando. Tourists coming in from everywhere, and they wanted to try to capitalize on that and make sure that anyone who was originally planning on just going to Disney might consider coming over to Universal, too, to see the new expansion. Uh, but this isn't uncommon to have a little bit of a delay like this. Uh, construction often delays ride openings here in Orlando. The Wizarding World of Harry Potter, the original Hogsmeade area, was supposed to open up in 2009, but it was pushed back to June of 2010. It was uh, finally revealed in March of 2010 that the opening date would be June 18th. So hopefully sometime in March we'll actually get an official opening date. When you actually go to Universal Studios Florida, when you go back past the San Francisco area, you can see where they have the London Seafront opened up. Uh, you can see King's Cross. That's one of the first things that you're going to see as you're approaching, and that's where you're going to be able to catch the train over from Diagon Alley to Hogsmeade. Just past that, there's supposed to be a little bookstore. I think it might just be a fake muggle bookstore. And then they'll have uh, the actual leaky cauldron. You'll go through a little area there and again you've got that moving brick wall on the inside and once you actually get on the other side i believe that's how you'll actually uh, get into the restaurant they still are just putting up the brickwork right now they're finishing up that and looks like they're going to be putting up the stoops on some of the different townhomes there including grimald place uh which is looking fantastic a little bit darker than the other townhouses around it a little beat up in places nice touch uh, and then they're going to have a little fountain and green area in the front, I guess, where you can sit. You can't really see too much of the Diagon Alley area, but if you go back around the corner where the Fear Factor show is, you can see over the fence some of Car Kit Market, as well as the back building for the Gringotts Bank ride. Um, most of that ride, is, it's not really all that flashy looking. It's just a standard building. I'm sure they've got a pretty front inside of Diagon Alley that you can go into. So they're hiding a lot of that building with the Carkit Market area. Okay, cool. Now, the fountain, is it like the Fountain of Fair Fortune or just some random fountain? Just a random fountain. It's on the muggle side of things. Oh, gotcha. Okay. I'm okay, super so excited. Am I the only one? What, what is Carkit Market? Oh, um, they've got a few different sections that they're adding in there that weren't really mentioned in the book. So there's a standard Diagon Alley, and there will be Nocturne Alley as well for the Death Eaters in the crowd. Uh, over on the other side, there's going to be Carkit Market, which is going to have a couple of different shops there. I can't remember off the top of my head which shops are supposed to be in Carkit Market. And there's also going to be Horizon Alley, which will have a couple more shops as well. Um, and the thing is, is when they're listing out some of the shops that may be in there, I'm not really sure how many of them are going to be actual shops. Some of them we know definitely, like uh, Fortescue's Ice, Ice Cream Parlor and Madame Malkin's. And then some of them may be fake shops like they have currently in Hogsmeade where you go and you see the pretty little display and hopefully we'll be able to use your wand to play with that a little bit. Um, but I'm not really sure that you'll actually be able to shop in some of those. So is Carcat Market and Horizontally, are those ones that JKR came up with those names and said this is part of this world or is that something that WB came up with or Universal is, came up with? 
that is something that she came up with. Um, everything that's in there are things that she's created uh, and then passed on to Universal, and they've made it come alive for us. I cannot wait. Sounds very cool. Yeah, it's going to be absolutely amazing. It sounds like they've got a, re- a lot of really big plans. I'm not really sure how many of them are actually going to go through. Again, a lot of this is just rumor at this point. But if it's even half of what we've been hearing, it's going to be absolutely amazing. I'm curious about their opening date, too, because, you know, um, LeakyCon has their their con going on in July, and a big cornerstone of that is the idea that there's going to be a Wizarding World, you know, event, specifically around the new section. So if it's not open in time for, for LeakyCon, I wonder how that's going to affect those those con goers. Yeah, I'm not sure. There's been a lot of excitement from people who are planning on attending LeakyCon about going to that special event at nighttime where they can go into both sections. Uh, LeakyCon, of course, has not announced anything yet about a special event, so there could always be a chance that it'll just be on the one side if they do one. Um, but I have a feeling Universal is going to try to push through. When I went there today, there wasn't anyone uh, working, no construction workers, at least so far as I could see. I don't know what was on the other side of that London storefront area. Um, but I know last weekend when I went over the holiday weekend, there were actually construction crews out there on Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, which is kind of rare. Like, you don't really see them doing the construction on the weekends like that. So hopefully that's a sign that they're going to try to push through and make it happen in June. You know, I, I'm going to interject here. So when they were doing the big webcast, when they were promoting it, it was like a couple, like one or two days before the um, Harry Potter celebration. They had a website that went out to all the media. It was like the Gringotts Vault, and you had to have a code that was sent out to all the media. But if you if you spent some time, you could crack the code. And the, the code, I think, was like 721 or 722 or 723, which I think correlated to a date. So I think that's going to be the opening date, Some that sometime in July, either 721, 722, or 723, because there was no reason why you had to use that number unless that correlated to some kind of vault which i don't think so vault 721 or 22 or 23 i can't remember what it is now oh you're gonna drive me crazy now i gotta go look it up yeah it's, same here it's definitely a vault 700 for for harry's vault or gringotts vault key oh it's gone now it's gone. So the site was was up, you know, about 30 days before the Harry Potter celebration when they were, like, teasing the media um, webcast. Super easy to crack. So, yeah, but the, the, the number was 721, 722, or 723. So it was, I think that's a date. Anyway, that's that's my... Well, cons- 713. No, it wasn't 13. It was, it was like, definitely in the 20s because that's the oh. first number I tried. That would be interesting. Um, I could, that might actually still be a good, good time for them to work for, but I hope... Everyone's been just sort of assuming that they would push for June just to make sure that they can get it, uh, in on those people who are coming in in July just because it's one of the biggest weeks that they have down here. They lose a lot of money by not having it open then uh, from all those people who could be buying all the new merchandise they're supposed to be selling. Unless it's like public opening that time and then soft launch in June. Because if you if you go out to the media and say this is the date it's going to be open and it's not, then it's a fail. If you under promise but over deliver and you open 722, which is what they'll release, but they're open a month in advance, kind of beta test everything. And I think Heather, that's what happened with the first um, opening, right? It was open a few weeks before it was officially open, right? Yeah, that was, uh, it was actually really controversial at the time because they were selling all these Harry Potter, uh, packages through the website for hotels and tickets and stuff, uh, there at Universal for March, or excuse me, May 28th. 
And then they announced that the park would actually open up on June 18th, I believe it was. And then everyone was wondering, you know, why were they selling these packages starting May 28th? Come to find out that was when they were doing the soft opening, and a lot of those soft openings were exclusive to people who were staying in the hotels, which is what the vacation package was about. So we might see something like that come out. Uh, Maybe that'll be what the June opening was that everyone's been talking about. Well, I mean, you're the one who lives there, so if it's open, we're going to send you right away. Not that you were already already planning on going, but... Oh, yeah, I'm going to be there after work pretty much every day. Oh, my gosh, I'm so excited. I wish I lived closer because I don't think we're going to get ours in L.A. until 2015, 2016. And oh, even wow. if we do, I mean, I'm excited for it. Don't get me wrong. We're going to have a great haul. It's going to be a little different than your guys' stuff, but um, it's a lot smaller. We won't have the Hogsmeade train. I'm, I'm doubting unless it goes all the way uphill because that park is two levels um, and you have to take like four escalators down it's really strange it's on a hill so thank you everybody for joining us for potter watch join us next time for the latest news from the potter world Effort of many witches and wizards to keep the fandom alive through local events, meetups, and conferences. For today's episode, Ministry of Magic, I'm interviewing Jenny and Philip Smith, the organizers of HP Ohio. Now, what was your introduction to the Harry Potter fandom? For both of us, it actually happened at about the same time because I've been a fan of the book since 2000 when I, um, Prince, Prisoner of Azkaban had just come out. But it was actually HP Ohio that introduced us to the Harry Potter fandom. They were having a huge release party for Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows book when it came out. And we went. It was the first time we saw rockers and the first time we saw that many people gathered and the first time we were exposed to a fan group, which was HP Ohio. And that just that opened the door for us and changed our life. And when Jenny says a big event, they actually took uh, the town of Wilmington, Ohio, and turned it into... Um, all the different stores changed their signage to be the different stores in like, um, I'm sorry, in Hogs, Hogsmeade and, uh, they had two different stages with events. That was the first time we ever saw Wizard Rock. The Whomping Willows came by, performed, uh, Matt, and it was fantastic. You trade your money for galleons and sickles and bought your book and it was incredible. That sounds amazing. So that means that you guys um, were not part of the original um, group organizers. So tell me a little bit about how the group got started and who was kind of the, he- the head in charge then. Well, back in 2004, they started actually as a Yahoo group because, um, well, we've been around so long that meetups.com didn't exist. <laughs> then, which I know how, we're dating how, ourselves. Right. <laughs> that's how all almost all of the Harry Potter groups activate now but it didn't exist back then and really facebook didn't exist back then if you can imagine so they started on yahoo groups with just wanting to get a group of adults together to go see harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban and it was great a lot of people that started it was a very small group but it was a dedicated group and it just kept growing and um what happened was some of the people were in the military, so they had to move. Or we've just had a pass-it-down mentality in our group where you're in charge for a while, and then if someone else eventually steps up, then they're in charge. And I think it expanded to letting several people be in charge. We used to have a ministry of magic with different responsibilities for different people. So someone was publicity and someone was the treasurer, and it worked that way. And I, for instance, I used to be – once we joined 2007 – 
I was involved for about two years before I moved up to a ministry position, and then I was in charge of all of our monthly huddles and the events, so quite a big position, which is kind of the main position, I guess right. actually say, <laughs> <laughs> and never really looked back. And so eventually that didn't – I didn't feel that structure really worked for us, so we – it really became me mostly doing it, yeah. and so <laughs> we moved to more of a um, um, Hogwarts sort of leadership. Where now we have four heads of house, and um, really just randomly, we actually have a Hufflepuff, Gryffindor, Slytherin, and Ravenclaw heads of house, which just happened that way. We actually just got the right people for the job. And yeah, like Jenny said, really, the the group at this point is her her child. <laughs> And speaking of child, you guys are going to have a baby. Do you yes. think you'll still, you know, celebrate the Harry Potter fandom through HP Ohio and keep the group going? Yes, but my goal is to train <laughs> the next generation so I can move into a semi-retirement, to be perfectly honest. <laughs> Which, in some ways, I think is scary for some people because I do think in these groups – you rely on the leaders. For instance, um, the original leader, Amanda Lewis, when she moved out to Boston in 2007, which is about when we joined the group, everyone had this feeling that that was the end, the group would end. Mm-hmm. And I joined along with some new members and really thought this doesn't have to end. It might be the last, the last book may have come out. But there's still plenty of Harry Potter to look forward to. There's still plenty of movies. I mean, it's hard to believe looking back seven years ago to think people – Thought that was it for Harry Potter, mm-hmm. but we felt like the group could continue, and and it really has. And so I think now we're in a similar situation where it's seven years later, and I think some people might be concerned that now that we are going into a different phase in our life, and we won't have as much time to devote to it. I've pretty much devoted time as if this was my full-time job for probably the last couple of years. <laughs> There's no other way around it, but... I'm hoping to step back and we have some great new young members who are really enthusiastic. Um, our two new heads of house, our Ravenclaw and our Slytherin, are just mm-hmm. fantastic. Madeline and uh, Jennifer. Madeline Wilson mm-hmm. and Jennifer McIntyre. Madeline Wilson is our Ravenclaw. Jennifer McIntyre is our Slytherin. And I'm really excited to kind of tramp the next generation. But do I think I'm going to walk away completely? I hope not. <laughs> I've put too much of my heart into this. No, there's too many things that we could dress our child up as to quit. There's <laughs> too many cosplay opportunities for a baby. That's true. Now, where is your group located? Your name is HP Ohio, which is like the entire state. So is there kind of like a focus of one, you know, major metropolitan area, or is it a lot of different um, smaller groups that are kind of combined under one umbrella? That's a great question because there's been kind of an ebb and flow in the group. And for a while, I think it was centered when you say it was started out center more in Dayton because there were several people in the military and right pad is there. And then it became more where there was a larger group in Columbus. Uh-huh. And now because we've had a large event outside of Cincinnati for the last four years, I'd say that's where our largest following is. We try to rotate geographically because yes, Ohio is a very big state. And I think that is a big challenge in our group. A lot of other meetup groups, I think, center in one city. Mm-hmm. We, however, have to cover the entire state. And sometimes you go where the largest amount of people are. And I've always kind of had a philosophy of our group works where we really try to turn it over to the members and let them come up with an idea or a plan for a month. And so that's going to be where someone's geographically located. So the majority of our meetups tend to be in the south, 
well, we we'll re refer to as the South, which is Southern Ohio. Oh, yeah. like the South. <laughs> Cincinnati. Not the South, mm-hmm. South. <laughs> but yes, a lot of the meetups end up being Cincinnati, Dayton, Columbus. Um, but we do have a small Northern contingent. Yeah, we're growing so Northern contingent. We do. Yeah. And so one of the recent ways we've started trying to tackle that that we never had before is have a few regional huddles where we have something in Cincinnati and something at the same time on the same day in the North. Yeah, Cleveland. And we don't want to do that all the time because we do like to promote group unity. However, it's nice if people don't have to drive four or five hours to be together. So that that's what we're attempting. Yeah, that's a transition we're going through now, actually. How many members do you have in your group? Well, I think that in order to answer the question of how many members we have, we have to look at all of our different outlets. And at one time in our peak, we had over 900 people registered on our private forums, which is connected to our separate website. Currently, we tend to utilize Facebook and Twitter a little bit more. So we have about 477 in our Facebook group and 408 followers on Twitter, which we think is pretty great. Um, The ball also brings back a lot of active members. And so that's where we typically see a lot of people who maybe can't come to the monthly huddles. But every January, they come back, and it's typically about 50 to 60 people. And the average meetup typically has anywhere from it be anywhere from 10 to 30. And, for instance, our last meetup, which was just tea at Madame Puttifoot's, um, that was the one that was held regionally in two places. And one had 24 people and one had 11. So that's about 35 total. So you never really know how many are going to show up. And we just kind of prepare that it could either be a small group of 10 or a large group of 50 and roll with it. <laughs> it's more about having a fun group than having a huge group. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. So I know that uh, – is the Yule Ball the same as the Crystal Ball? Yes, yes. That's a great question. And I heard it's at a castle. Tell me more about that. <laughs> uh, True story. We're actually – we have two large events every year at castles. At real castles. Two different castles. Uh, Ohio apparently just – Yeah, we like castles in Ohio. Yeah. <laughs> Our Yule Ball is called the Crystal Ball, and it was inspired by the Yule Ball in Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, and it does happen every year in January. It is an amazing castle resort. We're actually really lucky to have it there. And this was our ninth, eighth, eighth. eighth. This was this sorry, was our strike that. Let me say it again. This was our eighth annual crystal mm-hmm. ball. So we're very excited. Next year will be our ninth annual crystal ball. Yeah, and it's an actual. Uh, the thing that we like to say that sets ours apart is that it's an upscale event. You actually come. People are dressed in their wizard finest from the dress robes to tuxedos. There's actual dancing, a really nice dinner. Um, it's a bed and breakfast as well, so you actually stay the night. They have, like, heated tile floors, and it's, like, gorgeous, wonderful. And, uh, yeah, this was, what, eighth year that we had it there? I've heard some amazing things about that. Have you been involved in any of the larger Harry Potter conferences, like the HPEF or Leakies? Have you guys um, done anything with that? Uh, we have, actually. We attended. Um, we did. <laughs> <laughs> That's how we were involved. Nice. Um, yes, we went to – well, Philip and I personally and members from the group as well, we have some fun group attendee photos. Um, we went to Infinitus and Incendio with HPF, and we've been to two leaky cons personally. Other mm-hmm. members have been to more leaky been to cons. all of them. <laughs> <laughs> For certain. And then we also went to just recently the, the HP celebration, which was in January, and that was a, a different kind of experience or event. Yeah, we've actually been – We've actually been lucky enough to go to the after-hours events at the park uh, four times now. So okay. that's really been a big draw for us. Aside from the Big Yule Balls, um, what has been your most favorite meetup? 
Oh, my favorite would have to be our uh, our Castle Day event at the other castle. At the other castle in Loveland, Ohio. This was a uh, this was our brainchild. We started uh, four years ago, and it my yeah ours. Oh yeah, that's true. Not HP Ohio necessarily. It started as Jen and I started it um, independently, and since it's kind of evolved to be part of HP Ohio. But um, we went. We did a, a huddle, a Harry huddle, where we went to this castle that we didn't know was there, and we thought it was such a great time that we thought, why don't we could do an event here? And our idea, what we really thought about this event was that we wanted people to go to Hogwarts. It wasn't something to celebrate the fandom, and it wasn't necessarily for people who were were involved in the fandom and Wizard Rock and all of that, but more for the average kid who read the books and wished he could go there. And so it started out pretty small. We did one day and had a, you know, 50 people or so show up, and we had like my father does a Dumbledore magic show and we had a couple of people dress up as teachers and it grew to this last year was just too big. Actually, oh. <laughs> we, had, we had to turn people away. Unfortunately. Oh no! But, yeah, it was, uh, wow. We had over, what was it? Over 5,000 people try to attend. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. Too big. So <laughs> that's just not a challenge we're prepared right. to We weren't against. ready quite However, for that. it was very flattering to know that for something that we started as a local fun event as a, at a castle, we just wanted to, as fans, just bring some of the magic to life in mm-hmm. a special and unique way that we felt wasn't being done at the cons. And that's nothing against the cons, but we wanted a total – we're not trying to compete with that. We just wanted a completely different experience where you could go to Hogwarts and feel like you're at Hogwarts. And it turns out a lot of other people wanted the experience <laughs> of going to Hogwarts. And that's something – that's a good point because we wanted the children to be the, the students at Hogwarts. So we really focused on having the adult characters. We had um, almost every adult character you can think of. Dumbledore, we had Gilderoy Lockhart, Snape, Filch, McGonagall, Hagrid. We had Bobatons, we had Durmstrang, we had Flitwick, we had, um, um, oh my gosh, there's more, um, Weasleys, oh, Charlie, we had Charlie, Weasley. Charlie Weasley had a class, um, yeah, it was, it was incredible, and the response was overwhelming. Tell me a little bit about the Quidditch League you guys used to run. Ah, uh, the OQL, the Ohio Quidditch League. So the OQL started a long time ago, it actually predates the uh, IQA. Because we had completely different rules that um, we came up with that did not involve having a broom and the snitches were done a little bit differently. But um, that ran for four to five years. Yeah, we did it every month through the summer. We would have games. We actually had four different teams in Ohio. We had like the Dayton Addy Dementors. I remember that. The Columbus Cruciatas. Um, (laughs) What were the other ones? I forget. The Astra Maxima and the something in the north. (laughs) Yes, something in the north. But, uh, yeah, we had four different teams, and we had a whole league play set up. Um, But since that that kind of backed off, um, some of the members, some of the military left, and so we kind of went to focus on more of the meetup schedule because we could fit more in. Uh, You know, we do care magical creatures at the zoo. We had a Battle of Hogwarts laser tag. We have Valentine's Tea, game nights, our HPHP, which is our Harry Potter Halloween party. We had 15 chapters of camping, Weasley Sweater Christmas, uh, something we call Banffmas, any number of events now that kind of took the place. Those all sound fantastic. I mean, we never, you know, as the LADA, you know, we had a lot of interest in Quidditch, but it is such a beast and so much work. And, you know, you have to be dedicated to practicing at least at least once a week, better yet, twice a week. And I just 
could not pick it up and, and take on that responsibility. So kudos to you guys for doing it for so many years. Thanks. I mean, it definitely had a strong following for a long time. We're really proud of it. And and really the only reason after a while you start to think, you know, this was fun for a lot of years and we played a lot of Quidditch and, and caught a lot of snitches. And <laughs> But it comes to a point where you think, I'd like to try something new. And so we do try to rotate and keep everything yeah. fresh. Some of the members got a little burned out after a while, so we moved on. And maybe we'll go back to it. You also get a little older and your bones are more likely to break. <laughs> <laughs> totally understand. <laughs> What advice would you give to a potential Harry Potter group organizer or someone who has been running the group for, you know, a year or so, is getting a little burnt out, needs uh, some reinvigoration into the fandom? Like, what would you what would you tell them? Gosh, okay, well, I would probably tell someone, a group organizer, a Harry Potter group organizer starting from scratch could be a little different from someone who needs reinvigorated. I myself have needed reinvigorated on multiple occasions. I think if you're first starting out, just – just start simple. I don't think that people need to worry about the numbers or having it be completely large. You know, we've been around so long that that's why we have had a Quidditch League and an annual ball and an event at another castle. But it started out small where just people got together and had a picnic so or wanted to just go to the movies or a book release together. So I think just remember it's not serious business. Um, this is all supposed to be fun. That's our joke. Yeah. It's it's not, supposed to Harry be. Potter is not serious business. We're having fun. It's fun. It's it's supposed to be Harry Potter, and these groups are supposed to be whimsical. It's not supposed to be entirely stressful. It's supposed to be an escape from real life. We all want to escape the muggle world and live as wizards. So I feel the group should reflect that. It should never feel like work. It should feel like fun. It should feel like play. It should feel like whimsy. And I think if you're starting to feel burned out, you might be doing too much. And maybe there are people that are making it too hard. Um, I think sometimes when I've gotten burned out, I've tried to take a step back, not just remember why I love the series, but even just tell myself it doesn't have to be so intense. Yeah. I would say um, if you need reinvigorating for me, it's go back to the books. You go back and you pick up those books and you start reading them and it all just comes rushing back. Uh, Or maybe it's not the books for you. Maybe it's the movies. Maybe it's the musical. I don't know. Whatever your – maybe it's your fanfic. Listen to your rock music. Exactly. Maybe it's your rock music. But to me, go back to what made you love it in the first place, and I feel like you'll go right back there. Gotcha. I mean, that's where our best inspiration comes from. Now, um, how do you Harry Potter fans in Ohio find you? A lot of people find us through our big events, through Harry Potter Weekend and through the ball. Um, We have several people this year who always – they thought it would be fun to have a Harry Potter ball, and they Googled it, and ours popped up on our website. Or a lot of people come to Harry Potter Weekend, they see us dressed up and living the magic in these costumes, and they say, well, I want to be a part of that, too. So they definitely join in. Um, we do have some promotional materials that we use, cards and postcards, and and we, we used to go every time there was a a rock concert in town or a Harry Potter event or a con. We would pass out buttons. We'd pass out cards. Um, we don't always do that. I don't want people to feel the pressure that it's just about recruitment because I think recruitment is important, but it's also just important to make sure that everyone there is having fun. You know, we laugh when we're silly and we have a lot of private jokes and everyone clinks a beer and has a good time as a wizard. And mm-hmm. I try not to worry too much. Oftentimes the, the right people will find you. If they're looking for a group that's like that, they will find us. You know, we have a, at HP Ohio Twitter, we have a Facebook page, we have a website. If anyone's out there needing a Harry Potter fix in Ohio, that will pop up. And that's how we get some of our best members. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. 
Thank you for having us. It was fun. You've been listening to the February 2014 edition of Always, the Potter Fandom Podcast. We want to hear from you. Go to our website at www.alwayspodcast.com and you'll find all different kinds of submission forms, including submitting event listings, as well as just getting in touch with us and sending us your opinions. We want to know what you want to hear on Always and what's on your mind. Thank you and have a magical evening.